Welcome to the penultimate episode in our 10 part mini series on independent Irish booksellers for the Irishman Abroad Arts and Culture podcast known as The Selection Box. It's fair to say, though, that this series or any series looking at the uniqueness of Irish bookselling and the Irish bookselling community just wouldn't be complete without an episode devoted to the rise and rise of rare book buying and selling. Here to talk to me about his family business is Will de Burka of de Burka Rare Irish Books. Great to have you here, Will. Thanks very much for having us on, Charlotte. Uh, up until this week, Will, I basically knew nothing about collecting of rare books, the, the community of rare book collectors. It's quite an underground thing, but you grew up surrounded by it. Your father bought his first rare book in Castle Bar when he was 16 years old. Thomas Moore's History of Ireland, published in Philadelphia in 1843. Was it just in your life from the very beginning, this concept of the rare book, its value and what made it valuable? Yeah, it's always been a huge part of our family, um, our upbringing. Eamon generally sold the books through our house, starting off in Mayo. The business started when it was actually started the year I was born in 1981. Originally, I think Eamon's collection started building up quite extensively. And then Vivian, my mum, she was saying, like, uh, you know, we got another little lad on the way. It's time to kind of reduce the, this, the size of the collection. And that's when the business kind of started with catalog number one. We're on to catalog number one, four, five now. Wow. Uh, but the, yeah, the, cat, the number one basically was a catalyst for Eamon to, to really have a go at his passion because originally he was a builder. Um, he started off on the building sites in, in Birmingham. That's in, and in Birmingham is where he met my mother originally. But the business has always been intertwined with the family and kind of locally, the, Bur- the Burkers are always known as the book family. <laughs> and we, we, we generally just grew up like very fond memories of living in within a bookshop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's not what people would expect, is it? When they hear of rare books, I think that there is some... Uh, kind of stereotype that I guess is bound up in movies and the depiction of those that collect rare books. They don't see them as fellas that left school with their leave insert and headed to uh, Birmingham to work on the sites and, you know, f- collect books along the way. Like it is, as you say, the de Burke family or the book family mm-hmm. uh, yeah. were connected with that. But did he, the building trade doesn't tend to go hand in hand with the collecting of books. In fact, it might be the last thing that you'd think the foreman on a building site would be doing. And maybe that's my own hang ups. But it obviously ran, you know, side by side with the building. It it did. Yeah. So uh, Eamon, like, is a very proud Irishman. He's got a, a great love of Irish history. And I think in his early 30s, he, he would have been a very young man. He wrote the history of the Burks and, and Irish for Burke is the Burke. So he, his, his, his knowledge of history, Irish history is, is, is vast. And I think the book collection originally started with educating himself on mm. books. And then, as I, as I said, with catalog number one, it, it was kind of the, like the catalyst, the start of the, the dealing and the, and the 
uh, w- what we have today. But um, when he was, act- he actually told me recently, it was a, it was a good story that when um, his, his dad, my granddad, worked for CIE, and um, the bus company, of course. Exactly, yeah, and they got a job to move a priest's collection or uh, move his belongings rather from Castlebar to Connemara. And my dad was only 16 at the time and he helped my granddad move the, the contents. And, and he said that the priest was a really, really nice man. What was very interesting was he had a, he had a really rare collection of Irish books, which he went through once they unpacked, he went through and he showed Eamon the collection and Eamon was mesmerized. But, when um so we're, we're based in dublin but we, when i was a young lad we were based in mayo eamon and vivian moved back to to ireland and uh yeah you actually, didn't hang on to the accent will in fairness <laughs> yeah no no it didn't <laughs> no no eamon certainly did though if you talk to him but very very um kind of i don't know destiny or fate uh 25 years later he actually ended up buying that collection wow and yeah yeah it was like um it was very very and a destiny orientated, I think that was. I mean, so much. I, I mean, some people roll their eyes when you say the word destiny around this stuff. But collecting has all kinds of spiritual, serendipitous uh, connectivity. Place and time is so part of why we collect. What books and whatever it is you collect means is mm. usually connected to something fortuitous or unpredictable that just coincides with your existence and life. It's the sentimental value. I noticed from reading a piece by Eamon that his advice to book collectors is to never buy something for profit, only buy it if you love it yourself. When was the first time that was explained to you? To be honest, it probably was never explained because he kind of just grew up looking at what he does. And I remember being a young lad, just watching the way he operates and works. And I would agree with that, like and and, and touching on on a collection and and on a a book collector's passions. uh, If you go into somebody's library and go into somebody's home, it tells you an awful lot about the person, too. It's a window to the to the to have the person like their interests and so on, but as far as as collecting goes, I, I, if there's any advice I give is to get to know a really good dealer or get to know really good other uh, collectors. So you you know there's always got to be people out there that do take liberties, and with our own catalogs, when we do send them out, the the phone generally does be hopping within 24 hours because we do add value there for the customer and I, I feel like that's that's how we you know have built such a strong business within 40 years is buy from the best and and also do research and try and get to know what it is you, your interests are also well deburka rarebooks.com is the website and you guys mm-hmm. let's be honest don't be humble here are the the best in the biz, especially on Irish stuff. The largest stockist of quality Irish antiquarian and rare books in the world. Now, you mm-hmm. don't just do books. It's maps, manuscripts and prints relating to Ireland. So you yourself head off to you know build your experience, I guess, mm-hmm. through uh, becoming a qualified bookbinder. 
uh, serving under Des Breen and as an intern graduate of Sotheby's in New York. Now, talk to me a little bit about those moves and then kind of explain to the listeners that don't know that are tuning in, just assuming that Will DeVerka is the books guy and Mm. then kind of explain to us this other side to your life, which is, you know, vast and Equally, I thought reading that side of your life, I was like, we could have done a full episode on you, Will, because that music side of things is is so unbelievable. The stuff that you've done there, it's remarkable to have squeezed two lives into one. Yeah, well, the bookbinding, basically, after school, I worked in, in live live events. I would have done lighting for a lot of gigs. It'd be a big Music would be a big passion of mine, and I'd be a qualified sound engineer. Shortly after that, I decided to, to start a bookbinding apprenticeship, um, which I absolutely love doing. Is in Marley Park. Really great people to work with. And uh, still, do. We, we actually have a bindery at the Burke of Rare Books that, that we bind books for for the public as well and theses and uh, do repairs for. And shortly after doing that, did a bit of time away, traveled with a few friends over to Australia and does, does what, like 90% of other Irish kids at that age do and then I started working within the business and shortly after that I actually went to New York with my brother for for a few nights and uh, as you do we ended up on the beer every night and I remember saying to him the last night we were actually at a pub for the Mayweather the Mayweather was fighting and I said I'd love to do a little bit of time over here and Sotheby seemed a great fit and, and, and also I'm delighted I did it I couldn't wait to leave to be honest because it just kind of wasn't for me that world. But it, I, I didn't go into book departments over there. I was in the contemporary art department and I was in a rare wine department. And it, it was a huge eye opener to come back into here and go, ah, so that's the way other, other um, industries within kind of within the collectible industries work. Hmm. And to be honest, though, the one thing it taught me was that rich people, and I'm talking serious rich people, are willing to spend millions on crap. So... That right there, that realization. Uh, when does it first come about? I think I think there's there's a good knowledge of that from MTV Cribs and Floyd Mayweather specifically. Yeah, uh, yeah. But when you Floyd Mayweather isn't the people you're talking about, is it though? There's there's I always remember the Chris Rock bit that there's rich and there's wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the analogy he made was Shaq is rich. The person that writes Shaq's checks is is wealthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what what I found over there was I was working for Sotheby's, but I actually spent a lot of uh, time in other auction houses. I found them an awful lot sounder, the more independent ones. Like there's Doyle's in New York, which is kind of Irish American owned. There's Swan as well, and. I remember, I remember down the road in Doyle's, there was a letter and it was basically the innermost workings of Abraham Lincoln's head during some of his most stressful time as American president. And I think his wife lost a child around that time too. And she was at her wits. And so, you know, innermost working of one of the most iconic USA presidents ever. And I remember going for $200,000, right? A fortune, but I, f- I felt it was cheap in relation to mm. what was selling in Sotheby's, a dreadful looking turquoise bookcase. 
right? That the artist, the, the celebrity artist who was selling it, obviously was taking the piss. Now, if you or I was offered this for our children's bedroom, you go, no, thanks. It looks dreadful. And our, and our wives would hate it, right? But it ended up making two and a half million. What? And I just thought to myself, wow. Like, it's, it's quite startling the difference, what was selling down the road and what was so important and so amazing compared mm. to a plastic bookcase. Yeah, truly extraordinary. And, and I guess your eyes don't get opened once on that. They get opened over and over again. And what are you left with? Like, what do you walk away with? Surely it's not the knowledge that uh, you can sell anything to these people. Yeah. Surely it's it reinstills your beliefs in what's special and what's crap. Exactly. And, and, and what I found was a lot of a lot of businessmen, businesswomen, what they actually do is they hit a certain plateau in business that they've nailed. And then they kind of get into this midlife crisis type of area. Some might get into alcohol or, you know, stuff that's not too good for you. And then some people, like a lot of people, they get into a new hobby. It could be golf, it could be whatever, but a lot of people get into collecting then. And actually, from talking to a Dublin dealer recently, we both agreed that most new customers actually come on board at around 45 to 50 years of age. But Sotheby's actually have psychiatrists and social sociologists that actually specialize in obtaining new information for Sotheby's. It's very, very, not articulate, but uh, analytical. So I picked this book today because I really enjoyed it. I think it's a really good idea. And I also think it's a good present. You're listening to The Selection Box, exclusively available from Irishman Abroad Premium on Patreon.com. I love this book. It's called Boy on Fire by Michael Mark Morgie. And what I loved about it was it's dealing with the early years of his life from... There was one book that I was dipping into, The Power of Full Engagement. I'm mad for these business type books. Yeah, I love Kevin Barry's work. I first got into him when uh, his first book is short. I think he's a brilliant short story writer. His novels are great. So it never occurred to me that like anybody would be interested in reading books written by an Irish woman in an Irish accent. But yeah, I read the short story. I liked it. Something inside of me said, you could do something like that. You know, a book is a way of starting a conversation with somebody. Mm. And it's true, the interaction with people that we can build on this sense of community. I think the independent bookshop has that air of I, just the crack and the fun with people and discussing with people what they're interested in. When you step away from Sotheby's, was the plan always to come back and, you know, help your father and eventually run the family business? Because you're pretty humble about the music side of things. You know, you produced an album that was really grouped with some extraordinary stuff that people will know as uh, genre defining albums like introducing from DJ Shadow. You know, you were likened to this god of music. I mean, at that point, there must have been a part of you that thought, huh, I may get there to the point where uh, I'm on that level up up there where DJ Shadow is. And books and book binding may just have to be the thing that I do when I retire. No, to be honest, the, the books are always the first love and they always have been. 
I get on very well with my dad as well. Like since being a kid, every Sunday we used to go to fairs together. Eamon's a very generous man, so he always give me a tenner to to you know roam the stalls and buy this and that. I I, I got into like say call card collections and I got into collecting loads of things at a young age and this is just the next level to that mm. it's it, it, it was always um it's just a fascinating business and we're, we're so lucky to do what we love to do with the music I love that too but they are separate and it's nice having different social friends from different types of, of, of backgrounds and that with the music playing festivals and stuff like that it's always brilliant i don't certainly don't make a lot of money doing it i generally get tickets from my wife and best friends to come and party for the weekend mm. and obviously pre-pandemic we, we it, it, it was always a really nice thing to switch off from the business too and to make a new album or to produce for other people and i signed with a a, a zinc company which is like a music publishers called tarantula music so they place the music into a lot of advertisement campaigns like um, Mac Cosmetics and there's actually a Mac Com Cosmetic when they placed it into the South Korea and then one of the tracks ended up doing well streaming out there so so they're two mad old businesses. Yeah I mean really it, it is extraordinary and again you're being super humble people probably remember your DJ set from Electric Picnic in 2017 and this song I did I did hear about this this uh content that you'd produced and for people like RTV, RTE2FM and even Conor McGregor's gym, the SBG gym in Dublin there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the book fair and traveling around with your dad, I mean, it's obviously precious memories that I'm really conscious of as a father myself, of what mm -hmm. I'm passing down and what's going in. And as a bit of a collector myself, you know, I, I would have a sneaker collection that an annoys me <laughs> and my wife quite a bit. But you know what? Ditto, because I got a bit of a sneaker collection going on too, Gerald. <laughs> and I get reminded about how my sneaker collection is bigger than hers. <laughs> Yeah, the sneakers thing is uh, is unlike the books in that they're so mass produced that it's hard to ever foresee a day when they'll be worth anything. And then, but you know, on, on, on the Disney Channel, there's actually a show with Jeff Goldblum, and he, yes. he yeah, and he does a sneaker one, and the money that exchanges is phenomenal. But uh, the, yeah, the reason why I bring it up though is that you're collecting call cards, and you know, it's building this muscle in you mm -hmm. for recognizing what's important, what's uh, rare, what's unique and what is special, essentially, what's worth collecting. But you're obviously brought to places at different times and your father would have been brought to places to do valuations. Mm. Uh, this is Antiques Roadshow stuff here. But uh, have you been brought to more unusual settings to do that? I'm sure there's been times where you're scratching your head going in the door and discovering things that you never thought you'd see. Yeah, like we literally have done the length and breadth of Ireland valuing libraries, not just for public libraries, but also private libraries, museums. We do a lot of, if a person passes away and it goes to probate, we do that a lot of the times as well. There was actually one though, it was two years ago, and um, a very wealthy doctor and his father was a doctor you're talking in the 1920s maybe 1940s anyway 
the, this particular doctor had a son and the son had no interest whatsoever in rare books but he was into cats okay and he must have had about 40 cats roaming around this lovely old Georgian house put a long story short there was quite good items in the collection there was excellent items in it but there was one bookcase in particular and they were on the shelves were the most amazing bindings by some of the most amazing book binders ever but unfortunately oh no the cats pooped over <laughs> over over such an amount of years like you're probably talking 30 years of cat poop that these bindings were destroyed oh. now my father, Eamon, his one, n- number one love would be bindings. And uh, as a former book burner myself, I love them too. He was actually distraught. Not, not, not possibly because of the deal we could have done if they, were, if they were still in great condition, but like the fact that they were destroyed because during the Civil War in Dublin in 1922, Michael Collins blew up the four courts. And unfortunately, all the parliamentary bind not, not all of them, but a considerable amount of rare Irish bindings by the best Irish binders ever were destroyed. Uh, and to put that into context, the two countries that have produced the best bindings are arguably Ireland and France. I think they're Irish, but I'm, I'm uh, biased. Biased, yeah. But um, yeah, that, that was one recently. But we've been, we've been absolutely blessed with doing such amazing valuations for amazing uh, former authors people with, with collections and you get to meet the people and, and the story behind them and we are lucky that way that it's not primarily just sales the business is broken up into many different avenues mm. we also publish our own books we have our own um, publication house here as well we have a binary at the back so if, if we're always kept go uh, kept, kept busy well, I have to ask you about one uh, item, and that is uh, that I just saw mentioned autographs. Uh, yeah. Now that that must be a a different kettle of fish altogether. I'd imagine that what well, first of all, what's the most expensive and extraordinary one that you've come across, and how are they preserved? Are they all within the books, or are they sometimes on another item? Well, room temperature is always the best way to store books. And if it's a, is, if it's a document, there's archival plastic sh- uh, folders that we keep. So I'd say possibly the, mo- the, the rarest manuscript slash signature we've ever had. Collins, Michael Collins would be up there because he died so young. Eamon's had some great, uh, you know, Eamon actually had um, some essays of him when he was a kid in school. What? Yeah, he had them going back years. Sometimes they're not the value. Sometimes the what can be you can have a really really interesting letter, but the value mightn't be, you know, so high. Like I, I remember when I was a kid meeting the Irish football team, and after that, I was hooked on autographs. I just thought they were the most amazing thing to ever collect. But uh, I got a Bill Shankly letter, and I sold it, and I really regret selling it. And, and the contents was right. It was Bill Shankly to a lady in Liverpool apologising because Tommy Smith, the centre-back, beat her husband up on a night out in Liverpool the weekend before. And he was apologising for Tommy Smith. And he wrote at the end, I don't know what I came over Tommy. He's normally such a lovely boy. 
Oh, amazing. And you sold it. Oh, my God. I, yeah. And I know I, uh, the customer, he's, he's, he's more of a, a mate than anything else. I, I'm always texting him, especially when I have a few beers or watching the refill. <laughs> Listen, you're going to sell me that one day back, aren't you? It was, it was uh, yeah, it, it was a mistake. But we deal an awful lot in, in rare manuscripts as well. And we, we'd be the, the country's probably leader for authenticating them and also valuing them. There could be like some brilliant literary authors, you know, Flann O'Brien or, or, or to name but a few. And we value their, their manuscripts for different books. And then we, we'd also, if we were to buy them at auction or privately, they, they'd become available then in our catalogues. I'm, I'm absolutely like I could talk about this all day. We're, we're nearly out of time, though, at Will. If people think they have something or are you know, perhaps sifting through some stuff or have mm-hmm. something in the house where they're like, yeah, that that we should probably get this over to De Burkas. It's De yeah. Burka Rare Books at gmail.com. The website is DeBurkaRareBooks.com. They've even mm-hmm. got the phone number up there if you want to give them a bell. And is that the way it works? Uh, Will they give it, you a ring and make an appointment? Exactly. And um, we're kind of getting over the COVID thing now with the with the vaccinations and so on. So anybody is more than welcome to come down and view the stock, come in for evaluation. If you're outside Dublin, you can email us or my number is on the website. You can you can send me a few WhatsApps with pictures and always, always more than happy to help, more than happy to advise. If, if people are really uh, interested in, in the rare books and would like to know more, a couple of years back, I was asked by the Irish Times to write an article on the industry. And, and I spent a lot of time doing it, and it's a good uh, sum up of the whole thing so people can get their, their heads around it. And I think the, the name of it, it's online, it's called Between the Covers of the Antiquarian Book World. I might include that link in the info for the episode if people want to click it. I also want to give a quick shout out to buythebook.ie, who are uh, an independent marketplace and author community. Now, they were in touch with the podcast to see if we could do an episode. And if we do a season two, I definitely will. Their website there is buythebook.ie. Dot IE. We just ran out of episodes, essentially, Will. So I was just delighted yeah. that we got this done because, you know, we obviously had the lads from Irish Pickers on. And a, a very good friend of mine, Ian, is, I've, I've known him years. That's such a nice guy, Ian. He and, is. And doing so much to build the interest in in rarities and finding, you know, <laughs> treasure in the attic and, and the thing is with Ian what you see on camera is what you get what you see is what you get like absolutely same guy on camera as off, off camera 100% and I, I should actually give Ian another shout out now because for Father's Day he helped me get one of the whiskey dispensers the night ender that he showed on the late late over to oh, my very cool, very cool yeah very cool yeah. And we're in the process of getting it up and running in his home bar. So shout out to Ian uh, from uh, Irish Pickers for that. But look, Will, really good fun to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. I know you've got a lot on there. DeBurkaRareBooks.com is the website again, just to remind you. And we'll be back next week with the final episode. I can't believe it's 10 weeks since we started this. The final episode, we're going to come full circle and go back to Books at one in letter frack 
so that'll be a nice way to round things off and finish things off i want to say a massive thanks to everybody who's been in touch about this mini series will of course be more mini series from irish man abroad podcast all you need to do is go to patreon.com forward slash irish man abroad to get access to hundreds of episodes that we've recorded over the last eight years that's the only way to find these rarities these are conversations with people like dylan moran gabriel byrne sir bob geldoff sharon horgan and many many more all yours for the price of a cup of coffee each month i think that's pretty fair head over there now patreon.com forward slash irishman abroad our chosen charity partner is jigsaw.ie big shout out to them brian Connolly's on sound and john marr who is a book collector himself did the uh, research on this so john has been my guide will on this so you might be getting a call from him uh, later oh, very in the good yeah excellent <laughs> we'll take care of yourself and uh, i will hopefully see you face to face soon brilliant jared and you're welcome anytime uh, to to us down in priory we'd love to see you brilliant i'll be there <laughs>